0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, How Did You End Up Here? I'm Jamie Hare and I'm talking to people in interesting jobs and finding out what path they took to get there. This week is part two of my chat with musician and senior lecturer Davy Scott. Here he discusses collaborating with other songwriters through to his work with up-and-coming musicians. You obviously spoke about perhaps the importance of having a band round you when it comes to this uh, unglamorous side of things, having to deal with it. But in terms of writing songs and that sort of thing, did do you pref- do you like the collaboration side of it, or do you prefer to write the song and go and then maybe people all add in little bits, or, or how how do you?
1: What- I, I like both, uh, and and I think sometimes you, you what I like is the going between the two, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and and for years I did, didn't do any co-writing at all, uh, and then I was I. I, I Produced an album for uh, Ricky Ross called This Is the Life. Or, me, I produced the I'm With Ricky Ross as a solo record. And it's something I'm, as a, a record, I feel really proud of. And I think he does too. And we just, through the process of it, I ended up sitting down and and making a bit of a writing contribution to two or three songs. That mm-hmm. wasn't planned, but it happened. And actually, I thought, actually, actually quite quite good in a collaborative process. Not long after that I was asked to go and be one of the writers in the Burn Song House, which was a kind of collaborative song house in, in Dumfries, I don't know, what, 10, 15, 12 years ago, something like that. And actually that you were tasked with writing two songs every day with other mm-hmm. songwriters. Mm-hmm. And there were really good songwriters in that house, people like Boo Heward, Dean, you know, and uh, Riley Briggs and all that. and. and I think I did some of my best writing ever in that house and really, really, and it was the collaborative process. So what I've done since then is I've tended to write a bunch of stuff on my own. I'll do some writing with Douglas Stewart, uh, either for the BMX Bandits, which I I sometimes uh, work with, or for my own group. Uh, uh, Amy Allison, American songwriter, she and I wrote and and recorded an album together. And occasionally I'll call in somebody like Bill Demain, for example, Mm an American songwriter. Uh, I'll, I'll ask him if he's got in or if he wants to take something something on. But what you're, t- what you're tending to do is to almost either choose to write on your own because that's what the song's good for. Or, for example, I've just written a song called Sometimes It Rains in Glasgow with Becky Wallace. Mm-hmm. And Becky is such a Glasgow person that I just felt she would understand what I was trying to say better than I do. So, you know, I asked Becky to come in and work on it, and we worked on the lyric, and it really lit up mm-hmm. because of that. So it depends on the song. Some, yeah. some things, you know, you're not going to write a song like, uh, for example, A Walk Into The Blue night, which I was talking about earlier on, mm-hmm. which is about a very, very personal experience. I just sort of feel I'm going to write that song on yeah. my own. It's about It's about my soul, mm-hmm. my spirit. But then you come and do something else and you think, you know, somebody's got something else to say about this and yeah. and it's important to know when that's when that's that's right. My first experience was uh, making demos, selling an album when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. uh, then getting told with a producer who took me in the studio, got me a singles deal with Phonogram, and I was in a record deal before I'd ever really properly been in a band. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when I got to the sort of Hearts and Minds thing, which was kind of mid-80s, so Mm -hmm. the 86, 87, I... Suddenly I had a band around me that were really, really brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I had some beautiful songs and actually people were turning up for the shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you do, you start to think, actually, pff, th- this, is, this has got a wee bit of substance mm-hmm. to it. Uh, and then, so when we got a second record deal this time with, with CBS, I, I, I genuinely wasn't surprised mm-hmm. because I thought that this this could be could be great. Mm-hmm. Actually, again, didn't work out that way. But I still hold those uh, those moments as being a really that was a real formative thing, mm-hmm. and and the songs as I say I I probably unlocked something with those songs uh, that remains with, with, with me to this day.
0: And the next step along. Was the pearl fishers then? Is that what, yeah, well, what point we, did that we, enter in your head? And
1: CBS signed Hearts Minds again we did one single, we did tours and, and stuff like that. Really went well. We we really struggled to, to, to make the, the album sound the way that it, it sh- should sound. So, a bit like Spinal Taps uh, drummers, uh, we 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 were dropped a, a, again, and that you can imagine was 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 a moment where you have to think, uh, Am I going to get arrested again? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but I carried on. Uh, and eventually, I mean, the, the, the band kept on as a real draw and, 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 and people who remember Glasgow music in, in the 80s, I'm, I'm sure would would remember uh, Hearts and Minds. I, I hope they would remember Hearts and Minds anyway. But there was a point where somebody said, oh, there's an American band called Hearts and Minds, you know that? And and, and I thought, oh God, let's not flat flog this, you know. And, and we had, uh, obviously we'd had a record deal and lost it and you, and you kind of tend to think, you know, maybe we just need to freshen the name or whatever. So that's when the Pearl Fishers came into being 1991 and uh we we the first thing we did the first thing I did I should say was to put together some uh, money from my publisher. Uh and then uh, Jim Gash and I who who who's still in, in the band now uh went to the Prince's Trust and got them to match fund and we put out 3 uh, independent singles. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was called the Sacred EP singles. It, it was a a twelve inch vinyl EP uh, followed by another twelve inch vinyl EP called uh, Hurt, uh, and then a little special edition seven track acoustic cassette called Wooden Wire. Mm-hmm. And that was the that was the thing that that really because one of the things Jamie is that is that you can have a, a kind of local following and all all the, the rest of it. You need a record. You know, even the, even these days, you need yeah. a record, and and it's partly for the credibility of the thing, because people say, "Oh, th- that's a band that I've got single out." Yeah, that immediately means that you're not a band who are unsigned or whatever. Yeah. and and you go you go uh you, you then have the opportunity for people to buy it, mm-hmm. and and those those singles did really well. Uh, and, and people sort of noticed the bands and started getting a bit of radio play, mm-hmm. particularly up here in Scotland. And, and But early days, uh, radio producers like uh, Stuart Crookshank and, and people like that started to take notice. Billy Sloan, particularly uh, Mark Goodyear over at Radio Clyde before he went to Radio 1, uh, suddenly started to take note. Uh, radio 1 also started playing it. And so we did things like a Mark Goodyear session when he went down there. Uh, and actually you begin to think... There, there is, there is a, a a head of steam here. One, two, three, <laughs>
0: Alongside the pearl fishers, is, was that your main focus? Of the early nineties, is, is that yeah. your your main focus of your life? You're not, because obviously you know you're in education. You present yeah. radio shows. Um, but at, at that point, that's your 100 percent focused on.
1: 100 focus, and and uh, it was it was helped because we we opened a little studio in Glasgow. Uh, thing called the recovery room. I was going to say we opened it. We took it over. It was already running. And it was it was in a little bothy down on York Hill Quay. called the recovery room because it was the recovery room for, for people that injured themselves in, in, in the yards uh, down there. And uh, we rented it. We shared the rent with another four or five bands. And we took it. The Pearl Fishers had it uh, Monday to Friday, 9 to 6. Okay. And we were in there monday to friday nine till six rehearsing recording uh every day all day mm-hmm. okay uh and and that was formative period in terms of being in a band and that's where we started recording uh, an album that became saza's garden uh, which came out in 1993 and the, the the amount of work that went into that record was, was Massive, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it was it was the detail work that went out, and we did it on eight track. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on a, on an eight track reel, a reel, okay, half inch eight track. Uh, so it meant that I, I had come from a very privileged position where I was routinely hiring thousand pound a day studios in sure. London. Okay, uh, forty eight track. We the hearts and minds stuff that we did for uh, CBS was done in forty eight track, mm-hmm. Dolby SR, right. Uh, and you know, with Simon Phillips playing the drums with Tessa, uh, whatever her name is, on on backing vocals and all the rest there, uh, to this wee bothy that was stinking right on the Clyde. <laughs> and just working it. So, so for example, if you wanted to, if you wanted to add lots of instruments, so you had to record the drums with guides, then bounce all the drums. Uh, sometimes with the bass locked in. Uh, to two tracks, one if you if, if you were uh, you know really brave, but usually two so that you get stereo, and then if you put g- acoustic guitars down, uh, you would maybe uh, end up recording three tracks of acoustic guitar, bouncing them all into one, and so every track within that eight track was this little collection, and you would have a track where you'd have tambourine halfway through and then you'd get a wee bit of organ or something and then back to so, Really the work that we had to do on that was incredibly formative mm-hmm. uh, and in a way it was back to front for me, I should have done all that stuff first really, uh, but I was really proud of that album mm-hmm. and, and when it came out, a Scottish label called Iona, uh, I think it, yeah, again it's it, it found an audience and still, mm-hmm. it still has an audience to that album.
2: Blanket, cripples me Days are sweet, time passes quickly Here we are, there we stand, Watching on all of the mystery Caught between love a You
0: often hear of it. How do you follow that up? Like you yeah. put so much into that. What, what's the next? I, I imagine you're on tour with to support that album. Yeah. But and how quickly do you? How quickly as well as how hard is it to follow up? How quickly do you turn your attentions to what's next? Or does it just come naturally and natural energy or?
1: You, A funny thing happened. I think we thought. Uh, with some justification that that we were going to head right back into the major label mm-hmm. world there, and I think it was actually quite likely that we would. The guy called Andrew Lenny, uh, who's was a I know PR a PR he was wasn't an old PR guy PR guy. He had been a PR guy at Phonogram, not when I was there. I don't think, but. Uh, He was, by that time, an independent radio plugger, and he plugged our second single that came from Zaza's Garden and uh, managed the band for a while. And he really punted us to to record labels, and there were a number of record labels that showed a bit of uh, interest. And I I thought at the time, we're probably going to get a major deal here. Uh, But I think probably my history of having had and lost two major labels probably played against us a wee bit. So there was a bit of time lost, I think, between that 93 album and then what what came next. But we very, very quickly got back on the saddle. I actually changed the band uh, because I just felt there was a kind of a peak that had been reached uh, at Zaza's Garden and the way that that band played. And I can hear it, you know, when I put that album on now, I can think, my God, that band is playing so well together. It's Mm -hmm. such a beautiful sound and it's so detailed and all that. But it was kind of, that was it, that was done. And if you listen to my first record, Zazz's Garden, and then the second one, Strange Underworld of the Tall Poppies, it's like two different bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to, to move to a much more kind of pop. Direction by which I mean kinda sixties of and and seventies kind of pop. And what was at that time very contemporary, mm-hmm. you know, twelve string guitar, jangly sure. guitar and all that. A lot of stuff that was happening in Scotland like that, teenage fan club mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. And I felt a real affinity to that yeah. and I wanted to make a record that kind of sounded that way.
0: Does that just changing the band round, does that reinvigorate your own uh ent- not just enthusiasm, not to so say you didn't have enthusiasm with the previous, but uh but does it sort of make you think of things in a different way and challenge you a wee bit? And it, it does
1: a bit. And also the other thing is that, that we didn't really have a constituted band when we made that album. Mm. Uh, a couple of guys uh, sort of shuffled off and we ended up uh, in the studio. We went to, to Donald Shaw's studio in, in Glasgow and we got a guy called Wilf Taylor to come play drums because Jim had gone off in, to, to, to live in London for a while. Uh, Wilf came in, we played drums uh, he played drums uh, and we did the backing tracks, then Brian McCalpin and I who were really the only two remaining members went off to his folks house in Stirling who'd gone away for, for holiday for three weeks in the summer and turned this kind of very genteel uh, urban house into a, a recording studio mm-hmm. and battered down all these guitars and vocals and everything uh, I finished it off at East Kilbride Art Centre because I was then uh, employed as a artist in residence there mm-hmm. and very, very quickly made this record that sounded like uh, a really kind of big uh, pop sort of, uh, you know, jangly sort of mm-hmm. record of the time. Sure. So so the, the, the dynamic of that album was really Brian and I weren't together towards a sound Mm -hmm. and it's a very unique sounding record that when you listen to it now all the vocals are mixed dry Mm -hmm. Uh, the drums are just the sound in the room but the guitars are really layered and really Mm -hmm. sort of detailed Uh, and the other thing is that for the first time uh, I used live string players Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and that's something that was uh, an ambition it's something I would say to musicians I think if if you have these kind of ambitions for your music uh seek them out make make mm-hmm. it happen and actually use so we got some string players from the academy uh paid them uh and and i r- learned how to write uh, string music okay for and uh, very very rudimentary I have to say brought them in the studio and bride and recorded them and it's just it's a beautiful thing it's, it sounds great on the record and that is really where that we're the, where the Long term, kind of sound of the Pearl Fishers was was was, you know, Zaza's mm-hmm. Garden is, is I, I I love it so much. I really, it's like it's something I'm really proud of. But it's not. It just, it sounds slightly different to some of the the, mm-hmm. the other records. And Tall Poppies was the one where it started to sound good. And it's one of the things you have to really. I think when you make a record, you have to really think: What is the sound I'm trying to make here? What is it I'm trying to say mm-hmm. sonically, as well as in the in the songs? And we spent a lot of time getting that right in that record.
2: summer, warm by the honeyed wildness of the sun. I tasted
0: Can I ask you? Obviously, you mentioned you're an EK artist in residence, uh, yeah. East Coast Bride. Sorry. Um, at what point did you start to? Like how, well, firstly, how did that opportunity come up, and what point did you think of doing other things? As, uh, you know, because uh,
1: I didn't. It just came came to my uh, it came to my attention. The guy called Evan Henderson, who, who's who's a friend to this day, and who I think I think we first met him. We did this really mad gig in Stirling in this old Victorian arcade, right? I mean, you think the, all the places to do a gig in a Victorian arcade, and I mean, you, it was just, you could not hear anything for the echo. Mm-hmm. And he was there with, with uh, his wife, Audrey, and they were just really, really friendly. And and he put us on at the East Kilbride Village Theatre at the time, and we used to sell tons of tickets. And he said, oh, you should come and play at the Art Centre when we open that. And it just kind of naturally fell that way. He said, you fancy coming? Just do an artist residency, use mm-hmm. the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people come in, Record them if you want to do that. Yeah. Uh, and I just ended up doing things like programming festivals. We ran a mm-hmm. festival called Pop Pop for, for three years. Uh, and I made tons of records there as a producer. With other, so so mm-hmm. it just really started developing from from that.
0: And you're obviously helping songwriters and that sort of thing along themselves yeah, well, and advising.
1: The first ever songwriting class I did was as an artist mm-hmm. in residence in East Break When I think of it now, it was so... Uh, Poorly prepared, really. I, I just went in a room and talked about songs with people. Yeah. Uh, but you know, out of that, that really started a kind of practice that that has come as remained to this day. And it was in a sense, Jamie, what what you were doing is somebody asks you to do something, and you think, well, I can either say no. Yeah. Or I can say yes, get paid for it, mm-hmm. and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and for for me, what has happened usually in those circumstances is that I've learned something from mm-hmm. it, and and much more than than you know the other way over uh, about. But you kind of think, my God, just talking about this or or talking to other people about it, you start to learn. Uh, and the production thing as well, as I say, you know, I built that studio up. Uh, in my own image as it were the kind of things that I liked the kind of sounds I liked Mm -hmm. and eventually it would be BMX Bandits one day it would be some indie group from Korea who liked the Pearl Fishers and the BMX Bandits or whatever it would be Sushil Dade coming in to do his uh, future pilot stuff it would be the Bill Wells trio some really really Mm -hmm. amazing music got made in that studio and and I was lucky enough to be there and be involved in it and, and and help it. And then things like community music started coming in, kids started coming in, mm-hmm. and I would run classes for them and projects for kids. And before you know it, your life has changed because you've said yes to this, this, and this.
2: Could it really be There'll never be a wee. And I'm just kidding myself on well it might be true that my love for you can only find a life in these songs friends so do
0: How did you get involved with, uh, with UWS in the first instance? Uh,
1: well, the, my first brush with academia, as it were, was doing songwriting classes at Glasgow University. Uh, I was invited to do that by uh, Bill, who is, is one of the, the senior lecturers there, probably a professor now. Uh, and I just went in and did some songwriting classes uh, there with the, with the students. That's where I met Joe Mangle. Uh, mm-hmm. Who is uh, now a, a lecturer with us yeah. here at UWS, and and started that uh, professional relationship, which is which has been so rewarding uh, for me personally. Uh, so I did that, and then I eventually got asked to do the UWS thing. I think though, it, it was more it was more than that because mm-hmm. a- along the way, I then had this parallel career as a radio presenter. Mm-hmm which came from uh, initially my relationship with Douglas Stewart of BMX Bandits, who started off doing the Fred Macaulay show when it started in BBC Scotland in the mornings. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he would invite me in because they would do a little package yeah. every Wednesday morning about some music thing. And I would come in and, and, and give Douglas some music support. And eventually I, I ended up doing that slot myself. And then, bizarrely enough, Ended up presenting the show mm-hmm. uh, when Fred wasn't around, and I was the regular stand-in, and I did tons of those shows. Uh, then did a Radio Scotland disco with, with with Stuart Crookshank, thing called they uh, Jump, not Jump the Queue. Was it? I can't remember. Uh, you know, one of these shows where you play demos and new music and interviews mm-hmm. and all that. And what happened through that was that I discovered a love for thinking about music, and th- you know, and a, but, but what I mean by that is really thinking about it mm. <laughs> you know where yeah. they come from what does it mean what you know and that was probably the start of my thinking in an academic mm-hmm. way you sure. know in, in, in other words in an Breaking analytical, critical sort of way and found that I loved that and was excited by it and I felt I could I could translate that well for for, for audience as well on Radio Scotland uh, and so when the when the call came from UWS did I fancy coming and being a lecturer here it was a big change because it, it was a full time sort of post and I mm-hmm. had to and I still I mean the Perlfishers were, were you know regularly making records and, yeah. and, and doing shows and all the rest of it and I had to really think about that mm-hmm. it was also collaborating a lot with other artists uh, but it just felt like the right thing to do mm-hmm. and it felt very aligned to where my heart was at that point
0: because w- one of my favourite programmes I've heard you do was uh, yeah, the con- you played some mu- live music yeah, and then you broke it down in a way that I could understand. Someone who knows nothing about songwriting, uh, and and I wonder that sort of when you said when you said that the the first workshop you had with Nico Bride, you just sat down, you just spoke to people about songs, and it, it sort of struck a chord. That that's sort of what you were doing that radio show. You were, I think the you did uh, Wichita Lineman. You broke it yeah. down and and you broke it down to individual lines or uh, key changes and all that. It was and uh, as I say, listening, in, I was. Sort of nodding, going, Oh wow, that's you know, really, a and and I sort of so it's all sort of tied in it, it, that sort of tied everything that you were that you've been talking about essentially like oh, together. Th- that one show,
1: fa- thank you for that, no. that that means a lot. No, it's uh, awesome. And and I'm, I'm that was a program called Note by Note, yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's true because what what, what happens is, and, and there's another thing about it as well. The first radio feature I did, my, my radio features were. Silver Screen Beats and classic Scottish albums, which I I hope to return to very soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Silver Screen Beats was uh, produced by Fiona Kroll, a a Palamine Australian uh, radio producer who worked at the BBC for for, for many years. And what we found was that 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 you learned about music from your guests. So Mm -hmm. if you get, for example, as we did, somebody like John Burlingame, who's a, a, a professor in film music, to come in as a guest. For a, a radio feature, how can you not learn from that? Uh, or as we did again, you get the guy who produced the music for The Wicker Man, uh, one of my favourite films, and he's telling you right from the horse's mouth how the, how, the, uh, how he worked with the composer to, to create the sounds that became... You start to learn about it and you think, actually there is a whole discourse happening here. That you can be a part of mm-hmm. and understand, but you know, when I left school, you, you couldn't study popular music at university. Mm-hmm. You know that's why one of the reasons why yeah. so many musicians went to art school mm-hmm. over the years. I mean, it's that's the natural other place you yeah. would go. Uh, but now we are in a world where actually you can, you, we have, a, in a sense, legitimised uh, the practice mm-hmm. of popular music, uh, and rightly so. Mm-hmm.
0: And you're meeting like-minded people, other, you know, people, uh, you know, fellow students. But also, you know, practicing musicians, you know, yourself. uh, There's several other lecturers here. uh, You've played Celtic Connections, others playing Celtic Connections, uh, you know, members of bands like Deacon Blue and things like that. So I think it's, you know, aside almost from the academic and the sort of assessments that you might give to them and that sort of thing, you just have the opportunity to just work. Just like you were saying, you work nine to six every single day. You've got an opportunity when you go to university to just do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also I think the other things you said, like-minded, and that's true but also you're challenged. Mm. And uh, you know, if you, you come into a university situation and you know, when I actually I've got to be really really honest with you, when I look at the first uh, kind of lecture notes that, that I prepared when I did my first ever classes, I just I look at them and I kind of think, gosh, there's a lot of assumptions in there, there's a lot of things that I as a as a lecturer now would would challenge, mm-hmm. you know, things that things that I think. Well, says who? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. and that's one of the great things about uh, university. It, it makes you uh, engage with critique mm-hmm. and to think about what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're mm-hmm. doing it, what the effect of it is, and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And it's actually, it's so. Right for mm-hmm. artists, yep. an artists that work at really really high levels. Yeah. You know, people who are rehearsing at Sadler's Wells. Yeah. Okay, people who are rehearsed in production rehearsals for a major, uh, you know, rock and roll tour or whatever. Mm-hmm. Rock and roll, how arcane, right? <laughs> uh, they, they are they are engaging at such a high critical level mm-hmm. because it has to be right and you have to think, what, what is this for? Who is it for? Yeah. How is it pre- presented present to the audience? Mm-hmm. The set list. Why is that the first song in the set list? Yeah. How do we segue from that song to that and make a meaningful middle section where people don't leave and go to the toilet? Yeah. right uh, All of that stuff is big stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. big questions, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, and, and it needs a lot of thought, you know, musicians artists generally are sometimes guilty of fetishizing instinct mm-hmm. and saying first thought best thought well is it you mm-hmm. know uh, or if a tune's any good you'll remember it you know all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff actually forget all of that sort of those easy axioms and think about what you're doing mm-hmm. and think about what you are trying to say and think about how you can make it in the, the American parlance go over to an audience.
0: And I wonder how you obviously you 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 talked about how special times were. You know, bringing uh, making your own albums. I wonder if you get the same sort of thrill and feeling of seeing uh, you to the you know people coming together. So to to give an example, to give the the uh, the you, you put together uh, a workshop, songwriting intensive workshops, yeah. and you throw people together, almost people have never met each other before, um, and you will say, okay, write a song about this, and they interpret it their own way, uh, and a lot of great stuff comes out of it. You know, there's a couple of years ago a band, a band called Quick, people may uh, may come across at some point. Uh, you just put them together yourself and Becky Wallace. Uh, now they're out there playing live, and and you know they're quite special if you've seen them. And I wonder, does that give you? How do you feel? Uh, how do you look back in that? Sort of
1: well, thing? I mean, it's 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 the privilege of all time, mm-hmm. uh, because in a sense, you know, what you've got here at university is you've got uh, you know young people coming in uh, because they are in as in love with music as as you were yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got some hopes. Sometimes some of them unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes some of them not actually ambitious enough but the thing that's at the bottom of it all is they all love music mm-hmm. and, and and you want to give them opportunities to make music and to be excited by it so uh, in that module you're talking about we, you know, we do it over a week uh, people come in uh, the front door on Monday and by the Friday afternoon they're, they're usually playing up to 25-30 songs that did not exist five days before. And the quality is is usually really good. Of course, inevitably some uh, better than others. But the point is, has been the experience. So, for example, with Quick, and I do urge people to go and and listen to Quick, uh, we put uh, uh, Willem, Alex and Emily together, asked them to write something, and we came back probably something like 12 o'clock when we got them going, and you think, right, this is fantastic and it's not just a fantastic song but what a sound is happening in mm-hmm. here and by the end of the day when they played and then at the end of the week when they played you thought please don't split up please mm-hmm. be a band and mm-hmm. actually they did yeah. that doesn't happen all the time mm-hmm. uh, so, so to see that and to be very marginally responsible for, for the start of it mm-hmm. is, is, is a privilege
3: Standing numb in the winter sun, wind knocked out my smoke filled lungs, the city air that we still share. It's strange to think that you're out there somewhere. I hate to think that you're out there somewhere. Sound of traffic passing by. And all this time I couldn't see. There's a million people just like me. A million people just like you. Seven years was a long time to love you. Seven days feels longer still. Seven days since I last said I loved you. God, I hope I'm moving on. Remember all those days we spent together, but I just don't see when we start drifting towards. I guess I'm settled in my ways. You got bigger dreams to chase. Hard not to see it as a waste. I guess I see it as a waste.
2: Take some time out of town And to Get away from the things That remind me of you And I've had to take some time Out of town And peaceful just like you Get away from the things That remind me of you And I've had to take some time Out of, like
3: of like town so just like you
0: but you're a senior lecturer um, and not everything you do at a university is music related you, know, you have to, you're maybe dealing with the academic side of things and the which um, doesn't I'm not you know to make no comment in your own case but it doesn't always come naturally to to, to maybe to someone who's more interested in practicing and being an artist I mean how, how do you find that side of things and where do you see yourself? You know, do you, do, you have a, do you have a career mind, a career plan in mind, that sort of thing?
1: Uh, I I I do have a career uh, plan in mind, and it's I'll I'll quote the guy, the the keyboard player from uh Spinal Tap. At the end, he says, "Have a good time all the time." Uh, I think you know. See if you see if you can't enjoy doing what I do at mm-hmm. UWS. UWS is a fantastic institution to work for, right? Uh, like all institutions, it has its challenges. Uh, but ultimately, this institution has supported many people in education for the first time ever, uh, supported people in realising and expanding on their dreams. Uh, if you can't enjoy this, and if you can't accept that some of the stuff that you have to do is not, quote, rock and roll, mm-hmm. then just go do something else. Mm-hmm. I think the the most of the stuff that that I do, even the the, the more uh, management type stuff that you, ev- you inevitably get get mm-hmm. drawn into, the way to think about it is this: what what you're doing is supporting the structures that allow people to do great things, and and that sometimes is yourself, sometimes it's your colleagues, and sometimes it's students. But what you're doing essentially is putting. Uh, structures in place to allow and some of some of that yeah some of it is 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 more administrative, some of it is quite uh structured and mechanistic uh but you have to keep the end goal in mind and mm-hmm. uh, yeah so I love it.
0: And just to round us off Davy um we we they speak of in American I heard the uh, Steve Van Bruce Springsteen's guitarist, talk about the Big Bang for a lot of Americans, uh, February 1964, when the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. was. I wonder if it was a moment for you, and I wonder if, you know, if you, I don't want to use the phrase, if you could only listen to one album, what would it be? But can you just talk about your earliest influences and who you still listen to, your, your, your music, who you return to and return to and return to? It's,
1: it's songwriters for me. So, so, uh, when we, when we talk about the the 80s, for example, when I, when I was first making music, mm-hmm. the people that I looked to, that I thought, right, that is the standard of artistry that I aspire to, who were contemporary, mm-hmm. were, without a doubt, uh, Green Gartside of Scrutty mm-hmm. uh who has only made brilliant records, okay? Not made very many of them, but they're all brilliant. And he's a true artist and a, a true stylist as well. Uh, Paddy McAloon of uh, Prefab Sprout, a writer as good as McCartney and the rest of them. Uh, Prince, in the eighties, there was the, he was really was the only game in town for, mm-hmm. for musicians looking at what, what was happening. Prince was doing the thing that if else was going to be doing three years down the line. Okay, uh, then other maybe slightly less broadly well known writer Michael Head from the Pale Fountains and Jack, uh, British songwriters that that were. Able to uh, really synthesize something about British experience, but did so in a real kind of uh, special way. Yeah, I mean, The Beatles and the Beach Boys for me, you know, massive. But it's just tip of the iceberg. I, I love loads of music. Pet Sounds, uh, I got a book when I was about maybe 16, and it's one. Of, it was one of the first ever uh, quite academic books about rock and roll. Think of The Rock Primer by John Tobler, he, he edited it. Uh, or sorry, John Collis, I think who it was, Uh, forgive me if I got that wrong, but it was a a series of edited collections, and they put it together, right, so California Sun, and they got somebody to write, you know, five or six short essays on the important California albums, Uh, Dylan and Beyond, and you know, six or seven albums there, and just, you know, like, page each for the albums, and quite analytical, quite critical. And you see a lot of names in there that later on became quite well known as academic uh, writers. And in there, Pet Sounds was listed as, you know, the Central California album, but but an album that had uh, sort of emotional depth and, and, and musical sophistication. And I I bought it based on that book bought pet sounds i loved the beach boys my dad had the best of whatever and music always really touched me so i bought pet sounds and it it did change my life i mean it did change my life uh in terms of when you listen to that music and you think well for a start you really relate to the lyric of it when you're that age Mm -hmm. and that sense of being away from home and uh trying to get back home and trying to understand yourself and all that kind of stuff uh And it gets back to that kind of thing about what music's for. We started at the top of this thing talking about how you understand the world. And that was an artist, Brian Wilson, uh, and his collaborators, Tony Asher and and others, uh, creating this almost cinematic uh, take on on life and done with such beautiful musical delicacy, chordal sophistication uh, and, yeah, honesty in in the vocal performances.
0: David thank you very much for your time and thank w- you wish you all the best as you r- search into the cosmos to bring us some more some more of your great songs
1: thank you
2: And white from your winter window, you see a line of whispering trees huddling there, cowboys and ponies in the twisted air. You can watch the day blow from your winter window. It's cold out there, colder than a heart should take. And devils lie, but you can face them if they wake. You can paint it blue if you want to. Turn the sun to yellow coal. From your winter window You can make the grass grow Remember me, the day we painted some trees. We can see it all
0: That's all for this time Thanks very much for downloading or streaming this episode And thanks of course to Davy Scott For sitting down with me Thanks also to Davy and to Quick For allowing the use of their music The tracks we heard were When You Know That It's Over By Amy Allison and Davy Scott Sacred, Blanket of Ribbons And Sugar Mountain Babies by The Perilfishers, Foggy by BMX Bandits Sonder by Quick And finally Open Up Your Colouring Book by the Peril Fishers, you can check out more of Davy's work at his websites, DavidScottMusic.co.uk and PerilFishers.co.uk, and you can follow him on Twitter. He's at the Peril You can find out more about Quick on their Facebook page, which you'll find by typing in Quick-band. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jamie Hare. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back soon with the next edition of the podcast. How did you end up here?
2: One for you. It all up in a wooden we cup. For you, for, for, for you to fall Some... Mix it all up in a wooden cup. And One for you, two full luck. Mm-hmm. luck. Mix it all up in a wooden cup. And One for you, two full luck. Mix it all up in a wooden cup. One for you, treat two full luck. Mix it all up in a wooden cup. One for you, two full luck. Mix it all up in a wooden cup. Mix it all up in a wooden cup. One for you, two for luck. Mix it all up in a wooden cup.